So let's be real. Home is the place where all of the beautiful goodness Christ taught crashes headfirst into the ugly brick wall that is real life. But this is also where it starts to really matter. This is where we equip ourselves and our family with all of the tools, skills, and whatchamacallits vital to succeed in Christ. Join us in our journey to find light, positivity, and specific practical ways to make our homes little outposts of heaven so we can better brighten wherever we end up wandering. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Outpost of Heaven, the podcast. I'm Emily, and I'm here with my handsome husband and co-host, Andrew. Hey, baby. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, guys, Um, we're super excited that you're here with us again today. So if you're joining us for the first time, uh, we're really grateful that you have decided to give us a listen. Uh, Our purpose and our mission here is just trying to help people apply the gospel of Jesus Christ to to our everyday lives. And so we try and talk about what that looks like. Um, and we have we cover a pretty wide range of topics, uh, but it's our focus is always hey how do we uh, take these lessons from worldly experts and from doctrinal sources and from spiritual experts and and how do we make our homes little outposts of heaven? Yeah. So so welcome, welcome. Yeah, Emily is wonderful. Uh oh. No, no, no. no, no. I'm like, but. No, no, no buts. Um, And she has graciously agreed to let me kind of co opt our. Not co op. uh, To let me kind of commandeer. That's the word I was looking for. Commandeer. That's the C word I was looking for. Commandeer. So she's letting me kind of commandeer this episode and use it as a little bit of a. Not so much a soapbox, but kind of as a sounding board. Mm-hmm. For some ideas that I have been playing kind of with, playing with, yeah. So I really, I mean, I know the basic, the basic, basic of what we're talking about, but I am interested to hear all your thoughts. Yeah, and this is a pretty common occurrence for us in our in our marriage, right? Because my Emily's love language mm-hmm. is service, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. that's her her primary love language. Right. Mine is what's mine, hun. Yours is intellectual conversation. Yeah, it's like quality conversation. Quality time. Toyest. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) in other words, or further. More especially, yeah. um, Intellectual conversation. Yeah, and so for me, I I, I love having ideas and new kind of, just just new thoughts that I've been entertaining. Some of them inspired by things that I've heard or I've been reading. Um, A lot of it just trying to have original thoughts and playing around with different things and so i don't know about what do you think once every two or three weeks i'll just sit down and say emily i've been working on this idea this theory i need you to like let me i would say it's more frequent than that oh is it yeah so what is this process like from your from your perspective um i just like go with it i guess (laughs) i don't know i just i sit and i listen and i feel very small sometimes because I don't always understand and I feel like um I could do better at understanding I'm so sorry that you make me feel small with that (laughs) no you don't make me feel small I'm just like wow these are really big thoughts and I've been changing diapers and cleaning Cheerios all day (laughs) (laughs) so (laughs) for me I'm just like wow these are this is intense but Emily is never the fluff well, thank you. You're never the fluff. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's been a running theme. It has, yes. That Emily's not the fluff. Thank you. Um, but I'm excited to hear all these thoughts because this 
specific topic is something that you've told me that you've been thinking about. Yes. But you haven't really told me a lot about yet because yes. you wanted to save it for a podcast. Um, and episode. so somebody said something to me recently, a good a good family friend. He said something that uh, made me a little sad because of. I, I might get into it a little bit later. Not. I don't want to get into too many details, but this idea. I think kind of developed out of that as I was thinking about their situation and how I wanted to help them and, and how I want to help them like see the world in a better light and in a better and a more, a more effective way. Mm-hmm. And it, I think it has some broad, broad uh, ramifications and outside of just the, the scope of this one individual situation. But it was something that was really close to my heart and I was just I've been thinking about it and so I was going to discuss it with Emily and I thought you know this is a a topic I think a lot of people might benefit from and um, I think that I have a lot of I try to have a lot of original ideas um, I don't know how many of them are any good, but I try and <laughs> have original all ideas. All of them. All of them are good. Uh, I think I think they're all useful as building blocks to something else, even if they're not. Uh, yeah. They're not like good finished products, because uh, I, I, Emily and I have, I have, I've had several of these theories that I've been developing since we've been married, at least, and I've gone back and forth on some several of them. Yeah. Uh, even in the past week, we've talked about several yeah. of them that I've. I've said, you know, I think I'm wrong on this. I think it... And, like, even things that we have talked about on the podcast that are like, okay, I've decided I feel this way about this or whatever. And then it's like, never mind. I changed my mind. Yep. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> Which I think is important, right? So dialogue is extremely important to the developing mind. Uh, and I, I think there's a, a lot to be said about the... Uh, we'll, we'll get into this later, I think. Yeah, I mean, we've been uh, talking I, about talking about the topic for right, a while now, so let's right. just talk about the topic. Yes. But anyway, so I, before we... The last thing about talking about talking about the topic. <laughs> um, this is a, a regular thing that happens in our relationship. Yeah, And so we figure we kind of give everybody a little sneak peek. Let you in on that. Let you in on that. I don't know if other people do this in their relationships or if I'm just a big weirdo. If that is the case... Thank you, Emily, for putting up with my weirdness. Mm-hmm. I love you, and thank you. You know, I'm going to admit, confess something. Oh, no, okay. When I first, when we first got married. Oh, gosh, I haven't heard this. <laughs> you haven't, because I've never told you. <laughs> but you would go off on these, like, big, huge theories or, like, big, humongous ideas. And, like, I'm not a very intellectually deep person. I'm just not. Like, it's hard I think, for me I to think you're think, like this one like, because you're very, you're very feelings and narrative based yeah right Wait, so, and to, to, to finish your thing and then i'll say this part okay so you would like talk like in the car especially you would just talk and talk and talk my ear about like this idea and i was seriously like sitting there thinking to myself like i know i'm supposed to be listening but i can't i can't do it i can't focus i don't know what he's talking about so i'm just going to like, for kind of a long time but now I feel like I can totally go, like I can focus on what you're saying, and I can follow it, and I understand the vernacular that you use for most, for the most part. I, I'm glad so that we have this conversation have for no other reason than <laughs> for me to know this that you did. Yeah. Well, I love you, and things are different now, and I understand you. Oh man! So, so we're working on the the dad outpost with with Logan and Zach, and we've had this conversation. How I, I tend to be like this, 
Um, and so they're going to love hearing that. They're not. Okay. They're going to uh, tease me about that pretty That's hard. Good. I'm sure on the podcast. I'm sorry. That so I do want to say, um, when we first got married, I was still more of the opinion that intellectual and rational modes of engaging with life were inherently superior to more emotional ways of, of engaging with life around you and engaging with like the human experience. Um, I'm definitely not of that bent anymore. Like I'm definitely on the, um, Hey, there are many different ways of primarily experiencing the human experience or the, the, the humanity and, and our, our kind of temporal or our physical and spiritual reality. Um, I think there's lots of different ways for that, for that to happen. And it's important to have all of them because we all go through seasons where we need one versus the other. And none of us can solely survive off of one type of relationship or one type of, of engagement. Mm -hmm. So I, I do want to say that I think I've changed on that point a lot. Um, but without further ado, I do. <laughs> um, so I'm going to kind of go into this and this is going to just kind of be like a, a sneak peek into our regular conversations about these t kinds of topics. So a lot of it is going to be me just not ranting, but kind of fleshing out ideas. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important to actually talk about ideas verbally and vocally because in your head, you, you can only do so good of a job at tearing apart your own ideas, and you need you need to be able to hear them out loud and have somebody say that sounds stupid. Or well, I'm not going to tell issue, you there's that. A, well, it's like there's an issue with that. It's like, well, but what about this? Like, here's a contradiction. You don't always catch those contradictions when the thoughts are purely in your head. Right, that's true. So even if you're just talking about them to somebody else, you're more likely to see the issues with your own theory. So. Um, Emily is going to be here to kind of point out my, the flaws in my issues, or the flaws with my we'll theory, <laughs> um, and to try and make sure I'm explaining things non-esoterically. That I can do. Yes, yes. Because I have a tendency when I'm talking about these things to kind of just slip into my own vernacular and my own mode of thinking, which means I, I, I don't always do a good job of kind of bringing it, um, kind of simplifying it. So, yeah. what I wanted to talk about was the idea of, of how or what determines our emotional response to specific events. Okay? Mm -hmm. So, <clears throat> I, I, I was thinking about this a lot actually the past few weeks because we've had some some interesting events that happen at work where something happened and two people um, both observed the exact same objective events, right? So they, um, they, they saw what happened and then they, they interpreted it so differently. And I was just fascinated by this. Okay. So they, they saw what happened. They all had the exact same information and yet the interpretation was so, so different. And so I was thinking about why this is. I think that's, I mean, that is happening all over the media mm -hmm. right now, too. And, like, every 
I feel like since the pandemic, it's just been one thing after another after another in news. Yeah. That like everyone's seeing the same thing happen, but everyone is taking it in a different way. Right. Um, We all are forming very different opinions about one particular thing. And so that that got me thinking, um, especially I, I love having long runs where I can just like think about these things. That's been the primary area where I've been thinking about this. And so there's one spot on my run. I rem- I can see it in my head where I had this thought. So it's very interesting that objective reality. So like you look at objective reality and we understand that we call that like truth, right? Cause I, I'm not a, I'm not a relativist. I don't believe that reality is relative. Like I believe in objective truth and a, a, like objective, yeah, objective events and facts and so you have these clear-cut kind of concrete facts. And yet people are able to look at them and have completely different emotional reactions to those events. Mm-hmm. And so I was trying to think, okay, why, why is this? Like, why is there a, a difference in reaction, a difference in opinion, and a difference in what we should do? Um, and then I, I kind of came up with this image in my head to kind of help me understand it Um, there's a so in my head i was looking at objective facts and objective events and and maybe i should clarify when i say objective i mean like things that actually happen so like emily comes in and slams the door she doesn't ever slam the door but it's like like her slamming the door is an objective fact like that Mm -hmm. happens right Uh, but then what i do or how I emotionally respond to that, um, that depends on something else than just the object, the fact that that objective uh, event took place. Right. So objective things are like, in my, and the image I was using is a stone. So the objective things are like stones that are not connected to each other. They're just sitting there separate from each other. So like one action and another action, um, they're, they're separate. They're, they're, it's not like... Uh, Emily shutting the door or slamming the door should make me do anything else inherently. Like there's no clear connection between that and any other action. Mm-hmm. And the thing that connects any two action is narrative. It's the story that we tell ourselves. Yeah. Okay. You're mm-hmm. going here. No. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like the so you imagine you have. Tons and tons of stones, which represent the various actions or events that are happening in our lives. And then you have a river of narrative flowing down, connecting all of these these objective events. Mm-hmm. Um, now this... And so that, that narrative is the thing that kind of fills in the gaps between different objective things. It's an interesting visual. And part I was running next to a river, so that makes it a little... Mm-hmm. Kind of explains cool. where, where it came from. Cool. But, so the, this narrative becomes super important because it's the thing that connects these all of these events and informs how we should react and, and what events are going to be triggered in the future. So then I was thinking about, okay, how does this apply to happiness and disappointment? Because if narrative is the thing that connects all these different objects, um, how does that... What does that effectively mean, or is this just a cool image? And the thought I had was the narrative that we create is something that is 
is subjective. Like so that is that is relative. So the narrative is completely 100% relative, even if the mm-hmm. actions that are going on are objective. And so if... And it, it's like... Let me get this straight. Good, good. So the narrative is like what we decide that the action means. Yes, and, and the narrative it's is... like assigning meaning to... It, it's the story you build around the events. Okay. Right? So... Let's say it's like the slamming the door example. I haven't thought of this before, so don't don't think that I'm like fixated on this example. It's just <laughs> okay. the, the example that happened, so we're just gonna keep running with it, and, okay. and uh, hopefully these thoughts materialize into something worthwhile. So Emily slams the door, and I can create a narrative that it's because she's mad at me, mm-hmm. um, or I can cho- I can create a narrative that. Something happened to her, and so I need to help her. Like, what's wrong? Um, and so those are very different narratives, and both on the surface are equally valid, right? Yep. Um, but it's a, it's a conscious choice about which narrative I'm going to write, I'm going to craft. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so in that way, reality is... Relative, so my my experience of reality is relative based off of the choices I make. So this is it, it's super important because, and I hope again it's not too tangent, too tangential, or it's not making any sense. But it's really important because if reality is relative, it means it can be crafted, and if it can be crafted. Um, it means that it is always crafted. Okay. So there's no default narrative. Does that make sense? I guess so, yeah. Um, So that means that someone or something is crafting your narrative. Okay. So if you are not actively crafting your narrative... Someone else is. Someone else is. Mm. Right? Don't like that. Yeah, so your, your narrative or the way you interact with with objective things in your life, whether it's your wife slamming the door or it's an employee yelling at, or a, a coworker yelling at you or a, I don't know, a, a conflict at church or whatever it is, um, your emotional reaction to that thing is based off of the narrative you are telling yourself. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, okay. it totally does. And so then I was thinking about okay, how can we how can we craft our our narrative? And I I think one thing that's really prevalent now is and it might not just be now, but it, it's to craft um, victim narratives. And I recognize oh, absolutely. I, and I, I say this not in like just the grand political sense, even though I 100% believe that it that that is the case as well, but in the personal sense. Mm-hmm. So when you are when you've been offended by right. someone, you once, always want to write the narrative that like you're not in the wrong and that you're justified. Yeah, and you want to say "woe is me," right? And you want to build this narrative for yourself. And I think I recognize this in myself when I start rehashing what happened in my mind and i'll rehash in my mind and i'll i'll use phrases like oh i am like this always happens to me 
this is just like a, a problem that I have. Like I'm just always going to be the one who gets picked on. I'm always going to be the one who has to deal, has to absorb the suck so that other people can be happy and so that we can have a good working relationship or whatever it is. And so I, I, you kind of actively and sub, subconsciously and consciously build that narrative through the, the words that you decide to use. And a lot of these things we've discussed about kind of like, you know, positive word choice and positive self thought. But I, I hadn't thought about it in the term, in this idea of I am actively creating this narrative. And the more you create a narrative and the more you think about things in a certain way, the more you begin to fall into that narrative. Um, and it's like the more water that's in that stream. Right? Mm-hmm. And so that stream becomes stronger and then become starts affecting more things. And, and that analogy definitely has has its limitations, but it becomes a more powerful um, narrative of your life that you will begin to fill. And you so you have to be really, really careful about what, about what narratives you build for yourself mm-hmm. because our experiences are primarily narrative. Right, like even if we want to tell ourselves they're they're logical, they are up there. Our we experience life primarily through narrative. There, there's no logical reason that one action should elicit a certain emotional response, right? Because it, it, we that even the logic that would justify elicitation of a certain emotional response is based off of a narrative right so let's say let's say emily smacks me in the face right (laughs) um everyone would say oh like that'd be justified for you to be hurt emotionally or like Mm -hmm. that would be logical for you to be upset but why like why is it logical for me to be upset if you slap me on because I don't know. But But yeah, because because like, oh, well, that's not fair. Like you didn't, maybe you didn't do anything wrong. So like, it makes sense that you are upset because. Because of the. uh, I I don't know. Yeah, Yeah. that's one narrative, right? So you say it's it's because of the unfairness, or it's because of we. In fact, we're a couple, and so we have this loving bond, and so that like that violates that bond. Right. Um, And. That is um, that is a logical conclusion based on a narrative. Right. I love this thought, and we have talked about it in different words, like over the podcast with guests a lot. Mm-hmm. Just that like we're in control of our thoughts. And we have um, an episode coming out in a few weeks with Nicole from Thought Boss Coaching. But she talked all about, like, we get to choose if we're going to be the victim or not. And, right. Um... Um, yeah, and we've, yeah, we've had a bunch of different guests on talking about this idea that, that like, we get to choose how, how we're feeling and what we're thinking Mm -hmm. because exactly what you're saying, like things just happen and then we get to assign an emotion to that or like an action in response to that. And and part of the problem is in the moment, and this was the, the part of the big revelation to me or the epiphany i had with this is that in the moment you can't really make a choice no yeah it's very like instinctual right and what it is is that it has to fit inside of a narrative right because if you are um 
if you are not actively developing a narrative that justifies a certain action, um, so I'm, I'm trying to get out of out of the the not the philosophical but the the theoretical and get into the material. Or, um, so if you want to actively turn the other cheek, right? Um, if you are not consistently developing a narrative for yourself or turning the other cheek when, when someone has offended you is the right thing to do. Not just like, a, oh, that's a good idea that I think I should try and work in. But if you don't build a narrative around those ideals, when you're in the situation where you need to turn the other cheek, it's going to be illogical for you to make that choice. And so the pro- what you need to do is create narratives for yourself or create a persona for yourself that um, will naturally make good choices. And as you do this over time and you adjust along the way, then those good choices become natural extensions of, of your narrative. They become part of who you are. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to me that like you said that we react pretty immediately mm-hmm. emotionally or in our actions. And that to me means that like, well, if we are reacting so quickly, like that must mean that we are writing our narrative extremely quickly after something happens. Mm-hmm. Just like the narrative is our instinct. And then if we want to change that narrative, we're not necessarily writing a narrative. We're rewriting a narrative. Right. Yeah. Because our, we're our, changing the narrative. Yes. You have to change it. And so you have to stop, uh, and this is a, a kind of a grand scheme thing. Not ju- it's not just for looking at individual behaviors because there are things you can do where you're like stopping individual behaviors or you're trying to you'll like hold your tongue or whatnot because you're struggling with that. And so that that's not discounting that kind of those kind of micro issues, but on the macro, like on the big picture, you have to actively be um, creating a. a I can't. I, do do you understand what I mean by narrative here? I keep using that word, but I don't know if well, I've explained it. Well, I do. Like your story, your the the reasons why you are the way that you are. Right. The reasons why you're acting the way that you're acting. Right. And and it, it's it's such a profound idea, and I've got it from, I've read a lot about this, and I've I've heard other thinkers uh, express this idea, um, and I love it because it's it's more than just a, I'm a victim or not a victim, but like you're. Your narrative is—it's largely defined by your culture and the the people that you're you have in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has such kind of big, grand effects and big, grand things like uh, how you value. It helps you determine what you value. So, like, do you value motherhood? And like, what is what does valuing motherhood look like for you? And so you have these like big grand principles, and so you have this this big grand narrative for your life, um, and oh, you know what? It would be a good way to explain this. Mm-hmm. You know how when you read a book, and you're you're reading about the main character, and you kind of just know what the main character is going to do in, in any given situation, okay. right? Right, and so there might be some surprises, but more or less, you kind of have a feel for what the character is. Mm-hmm. And so you'll run into this with bad writing at times, where a character will do something, and you'll say that character wouldn't do that. 
Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Right, like this is a violation of this character. Yeah. Um, and it has less to do with logic and more to do with this like narrative that this character fills. Because it's the, this idea of these kind of deep subconscious um, archetypes, right? And so, and I guess that's really what I'm thinking about. So you, when I say narrative, like you're creating an archetype for your life, like a type for your life, like what you want like the the ideal version of you, this is what it is. Your character. Yeah, your your character. So you, when you're developing your, if you're sitting down trying to write out, hey, Emily Jordan in a novel would be like this <laughs> character. So this is what her characteristics would be. Mm-hmm. This is what like her character arc would be like. This is like her her these are her strengths. These are these are how she would react with people and whatnot. And so you kind of develop this character. And then you, uh, and, and this development of characters is very complex and complicated because when you develop your your character, you're basing it off of your current assumptions. And as you grow, your assumptions change, your ideas change, your your values um, will change, or sometimes they'll just deepen, or they will become more nuanced, or they'll become more more potent, or more f- focused. And then as that happens, like that character that you had developed dies and you have to develop a new one Mm -hmm. because the old character that you had for yourself wasn't fully developed and it no longer represented where you're at. And so you, you constantly have to have this image of yourself like this is who I this like this is the archetype. This is the type that I want to be. Like, this is the type of Emily. This is the type of Andrew. And I need to move forward to this person and try and embody the values of this person. As opposed to just, uh, like, this this world we live in either tells us to create crappy narratives for ourselves where we're victims or where we are weak. Or uh, I think the narr- one of the narratives that's really common for men in today's society is that you need to be neutered. You need to be feminine <laughs> um, and... You, you lose your potency and um, or there's just the idea that you shouldn't have a grand narrative like it's all about just seeking pleasure moving from space to space but even that is a narrative um, but we're kind of at least at the academic level this idea is, is largely being discounted um, and so you have this this type of yourself that you're trying to create and it's an imperfect type and it's an imperfect narrative and then it continues to grow. But luckily, um, you know, unlike the, uh, what the, you know, psychologists or the, the evolutionary psychologists would, would suggest on this idea, there's what well, we have objectively factual guiding posts that we can rely on. Mm-hmm. And so the, those are the gospel principles. Right. And I think the whole thing, like rewriting or changing our narrative, that is repentance. Yeah. The whole thing is repentance. Yeah. Because repentance isn't just... Oh, it, it can be, right? Well, repentance isn't just yeah. like change, like uh, repenting of sin or whatever. It's like it's making changes to become better. Yeah. So if you're making mm-hmm. any change to make your narrative better, mm-hmm. then you're repenting. Yeah, and I think you could be making a change right. in like a negative direction. Yeah, but we but, don't want to do that. We're no, just no, talking no. about... But in, in, when it's done properly and when it's done with 
the Savior, mm-hmm. that's what happens. Yeah. Right. And so you think about um, think about Moses. This is a great example because we've been re- reading about Moses a lot in um, in our church over the past few weeks. Um, so Moses goes through this several times and like on a big scale. So we go through this constantly in our, our regular lives uh, because anytime you find out new information, um, and this goes back to a different idea we've talked about, when you come across new information that shows that, oh, my assumptions before were wrong, like your, it feels like your whole perspective on reality, like your whole narrative collapses and then you kind of have to build a new narrative. And so Moses um, goes through this reality, and it's it's a little fuzzy about like what he knew versus he didn't knew or he didn't know uh, in each phase. But uh, I'll just use the real basic, basic kind of uh, thirty thousand foot view. <laughs> he was a prince in Egypt, right? Like adopted son of Pharaoh, and then something happened. Where you know, he ended up killing a guard and gets chased out of Egypt. And so now this this narrative of of Moses um, is destroyed, where he's no longer a a, a prince of Egypt. And um, and maybe we'll use the the movie The Prince of Egypt as an illustration here, because I think a lot of people are really familiar with that story. Well, that's the one that's going in my head yeah, as you're so, talking. So as we're, we'll just use that, even though it, it's an adaptation, and so it's not... Like, it's not strictly scriptural, but we'll just use that, right? So, he doesn't know he's a a Hebrew in in the Prince of of Egypt. And then he finds out that he's a Hebrew. And then so that that whole assumption, that whole portion of his narrative uh, collapses. Because he he didn't account for this new, new thing. And so then he has to run away into the desert. So he leaves civilization. He leaves this, this, uh, big ornate or ornately designed narrative, right? Of the city. And he goes into the desert where everything is broken. There's no order. Everything's chaos. And then he finds a little bit of stability and a little bit of order again, when he reaches the camp of Jethro. And so once he reaches the camp of Jethro, things start falling into place where now he's left the the uh the narrative of of Ramses of 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 Pharaoh and now he's being taught uh he's creating a different narrative based off of the teachings of of Jethro you know looking at life through heaven's eyes understanding that you're part of a big tapestry and understanding that God is the the author and not not Pharaoh, not man. Mm-hmm. And then after he develops this, he kind of, he starts this, this journey under this portion of his narrative, he interacts with God in the burning bush. Right. And so then once he engages with that, he's like, okay, here's a new aspect. So I'm not just going to be a shepherd. There's this new call to action. There's this new um, piece of his narrative that, his previous narrative didn't account for. And so then that person dies and he's no longer Moses, the shepherd. He is now Moses, the prophet, whatever that means. And then he goes back to Egypt and then he goes through a similar process. And then he becomes Moses, the leader of a nation and then leads them out of, of, 
of Egypt back into the wilderness. Um, and does in, in the Prince of Egypt, you don't see him get back to a place of, of civilization and a place of order. But this, this process, especially with God, is a constant process. And it's very, um, very essential to not only the repentance process, because I feel like the repentance process, or at least usually when I think about the repentance process, it's, it's kind of situational, right? It's like I'm repenting of these things. Um, I would say narrative and the evolution of Christ-based narratives are a, it's repentance on a lifelong scale. Mm-hmm. I really love that you brought up the song the looking look at your life through heaven's eyes because um like i god has such a different narrative for us right um than we know you know like does that make sense Uh because he can see like the big picture and we're just going off of our past experiences and what we know now um to create our narrative so um if we were able to look at our lives through heaven's eyes I wonder how different we would see ourselves, how differently we would see yeah. ourselves and how different our narrative would be. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And I, I think that we have an advantage on the secularists because this, this idea, I, I'm kind of building a lot of what I'm saying here off of the, the great minds of, of other people, some of them secularists, some of them believers. Um, but we have the advantage of on the secularists because we know that there is a way to see our life through heaven's eyes. Mm-hmm. And so when we can get glimpses of that, um, and, and those glimpses come line upon line, precept upon precept, so we can't just have a clear, perfect vision of exactly what we're supposed to be right now. Because um, c- even if we say, oh, well, you do, it's the Savior. Like, well, in actuality, I, I don't think that the scriptures offer enough information right on the surface for you to know the true nature of God right away. I think the true nature of God is only discovered through personal relationship. It's through the Lord. It's through developing or actively developing or actively co-writing your, your narrative. There was a talk about this from, yes. from general conference, mm-hmm. right? We're like giving God authorship over your life. Yes. I don't remember who it was. It was a sister. But. Right. And um, I, I think that involves... Camille Johnson. Yes. Mm-hmm. It was Sister Johnson gave a great talk about this. And I think um, I think she wouldn't think I was contradicting her when I said, when I say that uh, a big part of, of giving this over to, or giving authorship of your life or your narrative to Heavenly Father and to the Savior has... It doesn't mean you not making any decisions. It means... You actively trying to make good decisions, understanding the Spirit is, especially if you have been baptized and you have the gift of the Holy Ghost and the promise of constant companionship. If you are actively making decisions, the Spirit is actively influencing you to make good decisions, and you are also actively looking for the the voice of the Lord. And when it comes clearly and overtly, you pivot towards 
what he is telling you. And I think, again, the, the story of Moses is, another great, is a great example of this, where Moses, especially in the camp of Jethro, is, is doing good things and is changing and is developing a good narrative. And then the voice of the Lord literally comes to him and then he hard pivots. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that is an accept or is a accurate interpretation of what Sister Camille Johnson was saying. Okay, so President Nelson also said um, regarding personal revelation that if we ask Heavenly Father in sincere prayer to help us see ourselves through His eyes, that He will answer us. Mm -hmm. And that's a very specific promise. And those answers, that answer is going to come in various ways depending on how you receive personal revelation. But a promise from the prophet that if you ask for that, that it will be given to you, I absolutely know that that's true. Yeah, I love that. And so I think that this, to kind of wrap up everything we're saying, this problem of narrative is is, is vital. And the first problem is taking control of it away from the world or away from those around you. So not letting other people define your narrative or define your experience. And that can be really, really difficult because... You know, it would be really easy for, um, you know, for you to let the way other people perceive your experience or like your your life uh, craft how you see yourself. And I think in in some ways, it's basically impossible. That's why it's so important for you to have really good friends and have supportive family members around you and supportive people around the around you who are actively trying to develop a similar narrative to you so you have you have inspiration and encouragement to create a good narrative so it's there's this idea of taking control of your narrative um, because you have to take take it from the world around you and then after you've like taken it from the world around you you have to give it to God mm-hmm. right yeah and this goes back again to the very beginning of what I was saying. I had a friend who was dealing with some stuff and he was really bummed and he was just getting into some negative headspace and he was kind of developing crafting this, this negative narrative for himself. And um, we've had a lot of conversations about this and I've tried really hard to help him start developing a narrative for himself where he is a hero. And I think that is super important that you develop a narrative for yourself where you are the good guy. Like you are like the, like, and it's complicated because you don't want to like have a, an overinflated ego, <laughs> but like, you... no, but seriously though, like when you're creating your narrative, usually you're, you make yourself as like the weak one or the one that needs justification for things that you're doing wrong or like needs validation when really like we can be the hero, we can be the good guy, we can be strong, we can be accountable and responsible. Right. And and if you if it helps you look at it this way, say I am the hero, but I am Luke Skywalker on Tatooine where I'm still living with my uncle, right? I'm not Luke Skywalker. <laughs> I did not follow that at all. Okay, I'll, I'll use I'll, I'll use a different uh, analogy for you in a bit. It's so okay. I, I am I am Harry Potter, who is still, um, you know, I haven't found out I'm a wizard. I'm just living at my uncle and aunt's house, who are crazy, and okay. and I, I don't have any friends or whatnot. And I'm I'm trying to figure out and become better and stronger, but I'm I'm just not there yet, right? 
But you know that you're the hero. You know that you know know that you're you're the the hero eventually. Yeah. Right. And so the hero in a story, in a good story, unless it's like an archetypical story or it's a it's a myth building story, Mm -hmm. uh, the hero in a good story is someone who goes through a growth process and has an arc. So write in your narrative of your life. Why why would you write yourself as the as the side character? Right. Yeah. Like like. Cre- write a, a narrative for yourself and this the, like I said these ideas are the ideas that I'm kind of fleshing out right now and so in a couple of weeks I might disagree with them and so if you disagree with them that's totally fine this is kind of just where I'm at right now and I'm trying to think out loud um, and try to figure out how to live my life better and I hope that something I'm saying is beneficial but write a story for yourself where you are the hero Write a story for yourself where you say, hey, look, I'm not there yet, but I know I can be. Like, I am going to progress to the point where I'm able to fight Darth Vader and together we're able to defeat the Emperor or, like, whatever it is. And if you have to pick some story um, that has already been written to use as, like, a type, I think that's totally fine to use that as, like, a, a, a rough draft, right, or a basic outline. So I, I, I think that crafting a, a story that's worth living is the way we can consistently be happy and where we can find meaning. Because I think finding happiness is much more about finding meaning than about finding pleasure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And meaning inherently cannot come from a purely logical outcome. It has to come from narrative. And so if you are building a narrative that allows for meaning, you are going to be able to find that meaning. Now, there is an objective reality outside of your narrative. You can't just make it whatever you want. Like you have to like the thing about narratives narratives is that if you create a narrative based on false faulty assumptions, Eventually, that narrative of yourself is going to have to die when you come face to face with the harsh realities that that narrative is false. Um, and so, if you base, for your example, for example, if you base your narrative um, on the assumption that m- meaning and happiness are going to come from uh, worldly pleasures. At some point, you're going to have to come face-to-face with reality and understand the objective fact that worldly pleasures and can never bring happiness because wickedness never was happiness. And that's why it's important to use the gospel and use the scriptures and use your personal revelation and relationship with the Savior to develop your, your narrative for yourself. Um, and so when you use gospel principles to develop your narrative, those portions of your narrative are never going to be proven false. And as you grow and learn, you'll better understand those narratives. And so your your narrative will deepen or maybe correct a little bit when you misunderstood the principle. But like that that's the way you find that meaning. So craft a narrative for yourself that's worth living, that makes you happy, that casts you as as the um as the hero and the best way to do this is to base it on the principles of jesus christ yes that was amazing okay so hopefully something Those are great ideas hopefully something in there no, is useful it. okay yeah 
it's beautiful. Part of the problem with this for me is I've thought about these ideas so so much that when I say it out loud, it sounds like oh, like that's not that's nothing unique or that's not like a good idea because it's just the things that I've said to myself so many times. Right. So hopefully, uh, I'm not just repeating ideas that you've heard all everyone's heard already. Um, and maybe that that's the case. I'm just repeating ideas that people have heard, but hopefully, it was said in a way that was useful. Right, and I mean, we pray before every episode to have the Spirit with us, so I think it was there, and everyone's going to feel it. Okay. Yeah. Don't worry, guys, if you were turned off by me talking so much. <laughs> our Starting next week, we're going back to our regular, regular, our regular scheduled event, where Emily and I are uh, equally engaged in, in sharing ideas, and it's not uh, me just being able to use you guys and, and this platform as a sounding board. <laughs> No, you're good. And I'm glad that you did this. This was great. Okay, so we haven't done loves and less than loves in a few weeks now. Yeah, so do you want to go first? Yes. My love is that this week, it was today, but by the time this gets out, it will be a few days ago. We, I say we, but no, it wasn't me. Andrew and Hiram <laughs> caught a snake um, in our backyard pond area and it was ginormous, and it was at least four feet. Maybe a it was longer. huge. But the love about that—that's actually probably like a less than love in and of itself. The snakes <laughs> are disgusting. Ugh. But the love about that is that um, I've been kind of struggling with homeschool lately, and like not feeling good enough, and writing a negative narrative for myself about being um, doing the homeschool thing, but. Um, I've been praying a lot about it and just asking Heavenly Father, like, what, what do I do? How do I change my attitude? Like, is this, is this going to work? Is this worth it? Like all, all the things. And today we talked about reptiles and amphibians and invertebrates and vertebrate, vertebrates. Mm-hmm. And then we, decided that we were going to go fishing so that Hiram could catch a fish and we could fillet it for dinner and he could see, like, the bones in it and the, the like, the backbone, you know. Um, anyways, we went out there and immediately Andrew caught a snake and we ended up doing the experiment and dissecting the snake, basically. <laughs> so, um, Showing him the spine. I, I, I caught a snake with a spear in the back of its head. So <laughs> it was oh, yeah. like we could have, like, caught it and released it. It was... No, it was, yeah, it was like tangled up in some like, like chicken wire stuff. Um, so it was, it was yeah. going to die it, anyways. It, and it looked like a, it looked like a water moccasin. Yeah. And so. So they speared it and then drug it up and um, yeah, slaughtered the thing. It was pretty nasty. But it was a cool, it was a cool. It we skinned it and we pinned up the skin and we're drying yeah, it right now dry the skin and have it in the house um yeah anyways so <laughs> it was just like um it was a love for me because it was an answer to my prayer that heavenly father sees what i'm struggling with and he um is answering my prayer in that studying what we studied today was inspired and maybe because he knew we were going to catch the snake or catching the snake came because we studied about it Either way, mm-hmm. um, it was inspired, and I feel like Heavenly Father has his eyes on us, on every one of us, but mm-hmm. it was just a nice warm fuzzy. Yeah. So, 
That's really cool. Um, you know what I love about that? What? I've been thinking a lot about how the symbol, or about the, how one symbol for the Savior is the snake. Do you remember that? Can you say that one more time? I've been thinking about how one of the symbols of the Savior is a snake. I thought that was the symbol of the devil. No, do you not like remember the, the story from, from the Old Testament? I think if we haven't read it yet, we're going to read it soon. Okay, well then no. Because okay. I'm thinking it's like Satan. Real quick, so they're, the Israelites get in a point where they're murmuring and being all murmur, and and then uh, they actually get a bunch of fiery serpents coming in and biting them, and they start dying in large numbers. And so Moses receives revelation to craft a brass snake and hang it up on a big stick or basically a cross if you're seeing the symbolism that oh, Jesus was trying to throw down um, back in the ye old days of the Israelites mm-hmm. and then he tells all of the Israelites come and look at this brass serpent and you will be healed oh yes yes yeah there's actually a scene from the chosen. I don't think I even, like, put two and two together that that was a symbol of Christ. It's like a major, there's like a big passage in the Book of Mormon about this. Yep, then I, yeah. Just just read right over it. Read right over it. Yeah, so it's a symbol (laughs) for Christ. And I love that it's used because the Savior, uh, one, he's showing that he is the creator, right? So he owns everything. Satan doesn't doesn't have command of any symbol or animal or anything. Like, the Savior can use it. And it doesn't belong to Satan. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though, like, that was the symbol used for Satan in the very, very beginning, uh, the Savior comes and, and takes it back during this this phase of, of Israeli history. But it, what it's saying is, like, it's, it's a difficult thing. It is uncomfortable. Like, humans are hardwired to be afraid of snakes. And, like, no matter what you do, it's it's almost impossible to not jerk back when a snake strikes. Oh uh, yeah. Right, like on a, a neurological level, like your your nerves, like your nervous system, causes you to jump. It's not even a, it's not a thought. It's not like a brain or a decision thing. It's a uh, it's an automatic reflex. And so the savior to certain people into uh, the world will at times appear like the snake, kind of scary and we don't understand it we're naturally fearful of it and we have to overcome that aversion and come and turn to him and receive salvation through him and just like it says how the savior will be a stumbling block uh, it's not because the savior is trying to like like literally try and trip people up and hurt them but uh the message of the savior is going to be so counterintuitive to the way that we are that it's difficult for it's the difficult the difficulty to accept his message um, is like us trying to get over our fear of snakes. That so. is really powerful. I have not thought about that. Okay, so maybe so, we'll, we'll talk about that at some point. Uh, my love is that I have uh, a lot of good friends who have skills that I don't have that I like to develop, like today with MP. Uh, one of our friends, like one of our neighbors, he is a 
um, I think he has a PhD in chemistry, specifically in like like wildlife chemistry or something like that. So he like loves to be out in the swamps and doing soil samples and all he that stuff. He knows a lot and about nature. Yeah, I mean he's like a, a he grew up in backcountry Bama, and he um, he taught me today how to skin or gut and skin a snake which i have never done before so now i have that added to my repertoire and i'm very grateful to him and to all my friends who have skills that are teaching me constantly yeah okay guys well if you have enjoyed outpost of heaven the podcast today or any other day please uh, make sure to leave us a rating and review we would super appreciate it and um if you're on instagram you can follow us at outpost of heaven you can screenshot where you're listening right now and share it in your stories because honestly sharing it with your friends and your family is the best way to reach others yep. so this podcast can grow we appreciate all the help you've guys you guys have done to help us grow and we greatly appreciate any more Uh, any more help that you want to send our way. We love you guys. Keep the faith. Bye.